0: This is the healthy tension that I think exists between crafting out scripts and ultimately having a conversation, right? Because one of the worst criticisms that I make of any, like, say, cold call would be, well, that sounded really scripted. (laughs) You sounded robotic. Something along those lines where what we would argue in the opposite case is, no, you should sound more human. You know, being a good listener is a very human trait.
1: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Eric Quanstrom. Eric's the CMO at Science, and he's a leading expert on proactive outbound prospecting. And in our conversation today, we talk about the business of lead generation outsourcing, in particular outsourcing sales development. However, we approach the topic from a different angle. With the rise of specialized sales companies with highly developed sales expertise, such as science, Eric and I dig into the topic of whether sales really needs to be considered a core competency of a company that develops and sells a product or a service, or should those product or service companies leave selling to sales companies who have really developed deeper expertise? We also explore the many lessons that science has learned from scaling to hundreds of SDRs about how to more effectively hire and onboard and manage the sales development process. We get into all of this and much, much more. Before we get to Eric, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And I also want to remind you to check out my latest book, Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern human-centric framework for increasing your win rates and shortening decision cycles without using the salesy behaviors that so many buyers hate. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and in stores, so thank you for checking that out. All right, let's jump into it. Eric, welcome back to the show. It is so glad to be back. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, we don't do it often enough. Agreed. This is fun. Agreed. This will be fun. This will be fun, yeah. Well, also, you know, we we share a love for a restaurant we like going to for lunch as well, so...
0: Wait, about time that, to do that again. Yeah. I don't know if we want to give it away, though, because, you know, Rancho Santa Fe is very sleepy and quiet and overprotective about who comes in and out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we personally, I don't really go for the lunch. I go for the dessert, but whatever. Yeah. So, um, yeah. all right. So, people maybe haven't uh, heard us talk before.
0: Why don't you tell us a little about yourself and what science does? Sure. So I'm the chief marketing officer of science and that's science without an S. So we, mm-hmm. we, we like to say we couldn't afford it or it's an intentional misspelling, but once you've heard the name science, you'll never forget it. Right. And what we are is in frankly, an outbound lead generation company, um, tech enabled that <clears throat> helps other companies grow. And that's our main kind of reason for being in, uh, on the business landscape and in life. And we've got a variety of ways that we do that. Um, Probably the most common and and easy to understand is that we take a lot of the conversations starting um, on multiple channels, you know, email, phone, LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. over the web, and really um, start business conversations that then lead to um, other companies having a sales cycle or a pipeline that they then close towards net new growth.
1: Yeah. So I don't want to unfairly or limit what you say, but just sort of, to me, I would say outsource sales development.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the big bucket. And we've got a lot that's of really bucket. cool other products, you know, data products and ways that we go to market. Um, even an ad product coming out soon, which is really oh. exciting to me as as a marketer. But <laughs> right. Well, so before we jump on that though, let's let's talk about
1: your people. Because last time you and I talked was right after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and you have nearly five hundred oh. employees in Ukraine. Yeah. So what's what's the status of your your people there and how how are things going there for them?
0: Well, I mean, I, I have to caveat or or almost disclaim anything I'm about to say with this general knowledge that here I am sitting talking to you in Southern California and America, um, with business concerns or business, you know <laughs> challenges or Business moments. Um the war in Ukraine is life and death. And right. it's been very um I've witnessed bravery, courage, stress, amazing challenges that are life and death related that, that kind of make business, you know, topics seem almost trite by comparison. Right. right. So so it's been all of that um and and frankly a lot more it's funny we've um you know we we've come through the first you know month and a half if you will of the war and knock on wood um we we haven't lost any employees yet thank god yeah. um <clears throat> it's been i think very interesting journey towards normalcy around the, the feedback that I've gotten from a lot of our team members has really been, you know, getting to work with science and, and getting back to work, so to speak, has actually given them a lot of the kind of um, routine right. and ability to, to just normalize against the backdrop of a completely surreal, unbelievable once-in-a-lifetime kind of event that, you know, was an unprompted, unplanned, un- frankly mitigated disaster of an attack right. um by an autocratic state that took actions that we i don't think anyone saw coming or at least not to the level that you know what we've seen now with with the bombings and and the loss of life and frankly the war crimes that yeah, just is war crimes for sure part disgusting part um just heart wrenching um it's just—it's been a whirlwind of 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 um, again struggle, and a lot of heroism too. So I, I've been very proud of of our team and our management and how we've gone forward and continue to to move even in the in these distracted times. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, you mentioned you had guys kind of said, "I like develop apps so people could check in, so you can make sure everybody's safe and and so on."
0: Yeah, literally our, our some uh folks on the software side of our business developed a check-in app for all of our employees to basically, you know, let us know where they were in a very secure channel that, you know, wasn't gonna get give their, their location yeah. away. And because we had folks all over the whole of, of Ukraine and at least when the war started, it wasn't concentrated in the western half of, of Ukraine. Um, it was mainly in the eastern portions, but then Kiev came under fire and Again, it's it's moved around and it's been very fluid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously we wish all the best for, for all the people there. It's just yeah, unbelievable and unwarranted yeah. and yeah, just so maddening. Um So yeah, getting back to business though, because that's why we're we're here is yeah. is so broader question, and we're gonna drill down on this, is and you work with a lot of Big companies that have lots of capabilities, uh, as well as smaller companies. But but why why do companies decide to outsource you know their sales development, their lead gen to well, to outsource whether it's to you or anybody, but what's what's driving that? I mean, what are you offering that perhaps they can't do themselves?
0: Well, I think there's a lot of different reasons for choices made with outsourcing. Um the big broad ones are are efficiency gains, expertise gains, get to market faster gains. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you really think about kind of like return on investment, the ability to tap a you know, kind of a like a trained <laughs> you know, workforce, if you will, or or a company that is ready to do multi-channel outbound, um, kind of at the drop you know you're going to realize investment a lot faster than if you frankly are trying to do it all yourself from scratch at the start right i would also argue that that that's a relevant um thought process for scaling any organization that wants to go from say number x of you know pipeline creation to number y Mm -hmm. on a journey so that 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 scale on demand concept is is relevant right well i mean it, it Raises
1: a, a topic which, at least in my mind, because I've had other firms on here on the show that outsource other elements of the sales process, maybe the you know, actual sales part as opposed to sales development part, um, or the whole full cycle. But you know, when you talk to yourself and you talk about you know your expertise that you have, yeah, um, sort of triggers the thought in me is like, okay. You know business advisors talk advise CEOs, you know focus on the things that are doing the things that are a core competency of your company, yeah, and it raises a question you know is is sales necessarily a core competency of a company selling a product or service?
0: I think it can be, and I also think that the the way that you go to market or or the market go to market channels that you choose to use are all very strategic, so by default, they can be core now. One of the things I would say just to contextualize or take it back just a quick second, some things that we believe here at Science, we strive to be experts in lead generation, in prospecting, in getting conversations started, in targeting the right audiences. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily aspire to be experts at the nitty gritty, deep features, you know, like thousand hours of training on a given solution product or service that our companies, you know, are going to market with. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's a big difference between top of the funnel generating interest. If you're let's, let's take this word for, for what it actually is, right. We call it a sales cycle. And so for us in the cycle at the very top of the funnel or at the start of that cycle, um, there's a rhythm, a timing, a sequencing to all of that, to generating initial interest that is fundamentally different than late sales cycle, you know, ultimately um, needs assessment or, you know, ultimately value creation or how you satisfy or satisfies mm-hmm. um, a potential work. buyer's needs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, this is one that's big to both of us. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah
1: no, I can see that, but i I could think see even though you know a similar thing could apply in you know mid funnel late funnel stages as well is is the reason- i mean part of the reason I bring it up is is I was just having a conversation with somebody on another episode I was recording right before this and and we we're talking all about win rate and how okay. certainly in the software world companies seem very accepting of a <laughs> what my perspective, and many others' perspective, is you know, really low win rates. Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. You look at that and say, like, well, are they willing to make the investment? Which doesn't necessarily be a huge investment. Are they willing to make the investment and the culture change and, and process change in order to become better at selling? And if they're not, then maybe it's not a core competency, right? Is Maybe they should be considering outsourcing it to someone that could do it better.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, actually. And I I would go to, um, you know, one of the the trends that I would argue is is driving our business forward and has been for quite a while is that I think most life moves towards entropy, right? Like most things that can be specialized ultimately end up getting exactly that. Right. Um, so you know, like the Renaissance salesperson that's doing, you know, prospecting in the morning, taking meetings, um, <laughs> holding account manager hands and you know, going full cycle is um is frankly a relic and becoming somewhat extinct on the business landscape. For right. better or worse.
1: Well, but it's it is hard to be a specialist at all those things.
0: It's impossible. Right. And, and I also think about like applying not just the X axis, but the Y axis too, which is to say, not only can you have a, like no human being, the unicorn um, is equally good at say prospecting and closing Mm -hmm. or, you know, the the kinds of skills that are required for late stage, um, you know, sales versus early stage sales or account management for that matter, if you're going to throw that into the mix too. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that coin is thinking about the rhythm of a sales cycle that includes the buyer and the buying team and the buying cohort or buying group, if you will. Mm -hmm. Because most of those steps in a consensus purchase, and frankly, unless you're selling something super transactional, most sales these days are consensus sales. And that trend line is even more aggressive. Uh, I can't recall the last time I ever heard someone say, oh yeah, our our buying group is, is... shrinking or like that's just or the or the decision maker is frank <laughs> yeah right yeah and even that term i think is is kind of a, a relic of the past i've used that word twice now but decision maker implies someone who has kind of like all authority, authority all right yeah all autocratic decision making <laughs> by the way tying it to an earlier concept well, I'm, like I'm we glad, saw how well yes. that's working Right. In, in Eastern Europe right now. Um, but on the corporate landscape, it's the exact opposite. It's consensus democratic purchasing where regardless of what the, the, the product or service or solution is under study. Um, and by the way, I think of every sales cycle as a change management exercise. Yeah. Decision sure. influencers are going to be present in that change, especially to the extent that that change affects them. You know whether you're a user of a given product or service, whether you're, um, you know, kind of like the financial holder or the, you know, person who gives this to a given team, enables right. a team, so to speak. Um, whether you're the the product champion, hell, whether you're the, the the snake in the grass that wants to shoot a deal dead and not change a damn thing. Um, ultimately, buyers have like a role that they're trying to play on their side. And so basically if I put that on the Y axis, what I would say is you have different phases of education in any sales cycle where mm-hmm. satisficing behavior is part of every buying group unto themselves in their circumstance for their company with their dollars in their particular competitive industry and landscape. Right. As such, you have to be able to compete. And, and we found great success, both ourselves and with our clients, in kind of meeting those buyers where they're at with a sales cycle that has its own sequence, its own rhythm. Who mm-hmm. they meet in that sequence, the types of people that represent for our company, um, are actually very specialized.
1: Yeah. So, Well, give us a, give us a sense of that in your, your own sales process.
0: Yeah. So in our own sales process, just in the prospecting um, phase alone, we divide inbound and outbound. Right. On the outbound side, we divide by channel. So we have different people that are operating on, say, digital channels like email and LinkedIn mm-hmm. than we do on the phone channel. And different people still who are you know, um, effectively like leveraging our data and enriching and or um, specializing that research so that ultimately we've divided up a bunch of what are commonly thought of as one SDR role. We've Mm -hmm. chopped it up a number of different ways. And of course the management layers on top of all of those are highly distinct and differentiated as well. Right. So anyways, as you move through the the value chain, we have essentially that those splits at the top of the funnel with prospecting, um, again, down to the channel level, then they're Mm -hmm. handing off to our sales executives. Our sales executives in the science world are basically handling from discovery process So a lot of listening and learning and understanding where our clients, what their problems are and what they want to solve through to close one. And then once a deal is signed, the handoff occurs to our account managers. And then the people that manage our accounts from a strategic standpoint, our sales development managers or SDMs in our world are taking that account through. And then of course we recreate that same sales specialization split for our clients with lead generation, where it's channel by channel, depending on how we want to construct a go-to-market with your sales playbook. So when you're working, we you take on a new client
1: is because yep. this is a conversation as part of this week on LinkedIn is, is yeah, you've got an onboarding or ramp up, whatever you want to call it, is when you take on a new client, do you, do you bring on new SDRs or are you using resources you have already?
0: Um, resources that we have already. And this is actually an interesting phase of growth that we got over mm-hmm. uh, a few years back. We were trying to practice a just in time kind of like delivery right. model, if you will, where we were hiring, you know, kind of like SDRs um, to suit. And that practice is super hard. And, and I'll tell you the reasons why again, aspiring to be lead generation experts and experts in the prospecting phase. Um, they people that we hire have to learn those lessons somewhere. And it's usually better when it's not on the client's time, to be perfectly honest. And so right. we, we we basically hire, and everyone that that is part of our company usually goes through our own kind of like boot camp, works for our brand. I get the the firsthand kind of like front row seat on this because what we have is called Science Core, and and I get a lot of our newest members working for Science, which mm-hmm. is. Both good and bad, you know, like we we definitely see mistakes being made or lessons being learned, but it it comes with our brand uh, first. Right.
1: How long does it take typically to ramp up a new client?
0: Well, to ramp up a new client or a new SDR? Well, okay, let's stay, start with the SDR, then we'll get to client. So with the new SDR, we have a number of weeks that we reserve for classroom training and kind of introduction to the business and a lot of our own, what we call science university, mm-hmm. and putting people through kind of a lot of our own training. And then they go moving from there into like a practicum phase, if you will, where they're working again for our brand, um, first and foremost. Then they they graduate, if you will, to client accounts. And then getting to know each one of those client accounts is also its own phase of a learning curve. Right. Um, you know, largely because we have clients from all different industries and all different kind of like parts of the, <laughs> the spectrum. Right. Um, all different sizes too.
1: Would an SDR be supporting doing work for more than one client at a time, they could be, they doing work for disparate industries. Even
0: we try to pod things out to where okay. we're concentrating and, and you know, building on that industry knowledge, but but the idea is yes, um, largely because they're working on multiple channels at once.
1: Interesting. To answer
0: that second half of the question of onboarding a client, um, yeah. our goal is from contract signature and start date, or what we would call account intro, um, and we we set a call on that date to campaign launch through. You know, all of the steps that we're going to take from onboarding, all of the Mm -hmm. learnings that we're going to try to pull out of a client and get ready. um, We generally like to have that process take between 10 and 20 days. Fast. That's good. Yeah. And this gets to the point that I was making earlier of, you know, we definitely see one of the business drivers of go-to-market. First of all, Outbound as a channel is one that is unlike a lot of other go-to-market channels where, you know, if if I wanted to hang out a shingle and be one of the best SEO players or show up for certain Google search terms Mm -hmm. in my particular industry. um, Be damned if you're going to do that in a month. (laughs) No, no, (laughs) just sorry. Sorry for keeping it real there, but um, the gestation period is just a lot longer um, for what we're trying to do along those lines in that go to market channel. We like to think of outbound as a very quick to market um, endeavor. All things equal. Right. And so we we we've got a lot of experience in kind of like spring loading each and every one of our clients in this very like impacted or tightly wound onboarding period where our goal is to learn as much about that client's business, more importantly their personas that that we're going to be, you know, starting conversations with mm-hmm. so that we can build appropriately relevant campaigns that are going to start to show results um, to that client.
1: Yeah. I'm just, uh, just think about this. So you, yeah, you have um, these dimensions that serve, you know, people are experts at, you know, the channel they're working on, right. Outbound. And yeah. often I see this struggle with, with when companies that are onboarding reps, SDRs is, you know, sort of onboarding for sales purposes, onboarding for product and knowledge and customer knowledge purposes, and one or the other sort of gets sacrificed to some degree. But here it's saying is look, we got people who are really capable in these channels, is it's easy to plug in sort of a new relatively easy to say to plug in a new product or service that we're selling because these people have enough experience they won't necessarily be scripted. They're gonna be more authentic perhaps in the way they outreach to people more comfortable
0: let's say in in doing their job listen there's an art to being a professional interrupter <laughs> you know like yeah and and let's let's be honest outbound is hard um, yes very it's um it can be the most rewarding channel you know because i what i've experienced with outbound is it's different from inbound that you you know with inbound you get what you get and you don't have a fit right like Mm-hmm. You have a publicly facing website that anyone can, that the public can access as such, even inbound leads. Um, if you don't have a DQ rate, that's pretty high right. um, of people that are raising their hands that don't necessarily fit your ideal customer profile, then I would be shocked and amazed like, <laughs> and, and please introduce me to that, um, yeah. <laughs> that traffic source that comes pre-formatted because as a marketer, I would love to know. But on outbound, it's the exact opposite. You know, like we need never reach out to people that are not good fits on paper for a given product, service, or solution. And as such, having that deliberate go-to-market ability and taking essentially the, the, the relevant value propositions forward is the name of the game. You know, it's, it's generating interest where in outbound deals, oftentimes you're single sourcing. Yeah. You're not coming in as one of five, you know, vendors that are in my short list and now it's a com- competitive shootout. Um with Outbound, it's basically, hey, can I start a sales cycle and and win on merit on merits, if you will.
1: Right. Yeah, and even still, you have an incentive I think as a service provider of this type of service to be much more uh diligent about dequeuing quickly.
0: Without a doubt. Without a, and, and that's without, how it rolls. Without the internal team. Yep. Yeah, in fact, we, we, we've we designed a lot of our own inbound processes, especially to um, make it as friction-free as possible for people to engage with science and even sign up and book meetings with our sales team. And then our right. own inbound SDRs to effectively get to the heart of whether or not they're a, a qualified fit um, going forward so that we yeah. don't waste one another's time. So, give people a sense of scale. Of how many
1: SDRs you guys have? <laughs> well,
0: it's in the hundreds. Science is currently about, as we're recording this, call it eleven hundred folks, um,
1: of which a, a good fraction of those are are SDRs. Um, so, you're operating on a really big scale compared to most, uh, huge scale compared to most SDR teams. Do you I think so? <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, so do you, you know, from, from a production standpoint, do you manage the SDRs differently than they would be if they were just like,
0: you know, in a, yeah you know, a product company selling, selling a product? You know, that's a really interesting question. I think that the best way to answer it is um, we're very big on process. We're very big on workflow. We're very big on um, some ideas that have worked for us perpetuating forward as part of our learning cycle. You know, I Mm -hmm. referenced our own science university and and the ways in which we train. Um, That said, you know, even at scale, like we also try to like leave room and hold space. I don't know what the the best word or ways to describe this is for SDR work is still one-to-one. It's still, you know, like when I'm on a call with somebody and it's a cold call it's me and you, <laughs> you know. Like there is nobody sitting over my shoulder. There's nobody other voices in the mix. Um, it's a solo, so to speak, endeavor. Mm-hmm. At least from the SDR side or our callers, and as such, you know, it, it it is. There's a lot of room for creativity. There's a lot of room for understanding the role that I'm I'm here to play and the kinds of ways that I want to take a conversation. Understanding the craft, if you will, mm-hmm. of the art of, of leading a conversation to an outcome that right. is in the best interest of the prospect you're talking to.
1: Right. Yeah, and acknowledging, to your point, of leaving space so that you're acknowledging not everybody does it the same way.
0: No. In fact, th- that would be one of the, if we're going super weeds for a second, this is the, the healthy tension that I think exists between crafting out scripts and ultimately having a conversation, right? Because right. one of the worst criticisms that I may make of any, like, say, cold call would be, well, that sounded really scripted. Right. <laughs> you sounded robotic. Um, right. Something along those lines where, you know, we what we would argue in, in in the opposite case is, no, you should sound more human. You know, being a good listener is, is a very human trait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you've read my book. No argument
1: for me. <laughs> On that. Um, all right. So, last thing I wanted to get into is, is, given the masses of people that work for you in this role, you you probably have more experience in hiring SDRs than than most organizations. Yeah. So, I'm wondering, what have you learned in terms of you know the hiring? Is what are sort of the if you can somewhat generalize, but the qualities or experiences or attributes that are the most reliable predictors of success for an SDR.
0: Well, I'll answer it first is from a company level, because I think that this actually matters and it matters a great deal, or at least it does to me. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a biased view. One of the things that we've spent um, sufficient amount of capital on both like resources and, maybe not as much money, but we tend to believe here at science that your brand is what everybody says it is. And that's just as true of employer branding as it is people that might hire you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, any employee deciding, wow, science, that that looks like a good place to work. What signals are they going to pay attention to? And and we've spent, you know, time running, Effectively, like ENPS surveys and getting the opinions and and kind of like the word of mouth inside science, out of science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we've used you know the a variety of of uh, companies in this regard, Glassdoor, Indeed, comparably, you name it, um, great places to work. We've found that one of the best ways to attract good talent, net new if you will, in our own sales cycle is what recruiting, frankly, is, is to have people have a perception that we're a really cool place to work, really Mm -hmm. good culture to join um, with values and ethics and um, the kind of place where you could see yourself spending, you know, quality hours, probably more than you would spend with your family or otherwise, because that's what work is in the modern era. So, along those lines like the the corporate answer that i'm giving you is we care a lot about our our kind of like brand impressions and the experience that our employees have and paying it forward so that we're attracting the kinds of folks that when they sign up and join uh science are a cultural net plus mm. are hitting the ground running have a shorter, you know, kind of like level up curve are more likely to work in teamwork together and collaborate effectively, um, can uphold our, our corporate values going forward. And, and believe you me, it's less, I paint like a really pretty picture. This is hard, hard, hard stuff. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> and the, and the, the journey from like, you know, at least when I joined science, it wasn't even called science then. And, you know, like 100 people to now 11x that right. um, has been – there's been a few gray hairs along the way. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, just in your beard. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> just a little and just- pepper. There you go. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, but it, it, sort again, if I dig down a little bit is, is – because I think this is something that people really struggle with this is – you know, you're people into this job that is a very difficult job. Um, is, yeah. Have you highlighted like one or two somethings, you know, qualities that, that, yeah. that, that's Sorry, I didn't are answer that. of success.
0: I apologize for not uh, finishing off the question. So one, um, of the traits that I will over the, tell you that we over index on all the time, that's curiosity. Mm-hmm. And the curious mind is one where I really think of it best applied to the unspoken work contract. So the curious mind is one that will focus on craft that will focus on the behavioral psychology of, you know, opening up a conversation with a prospect as a, right. for instance, and, and they will try to learn for themselves because they're curious. What would make me more effective? You know, having that conversation over and over day in and day out with Similar personas. What, what's going to make me more effective um, the next time out, the next mm-hmm. day? The curious mind for us becomes a proxy for the kinds of people we want to hire because they'll fill in a lot of those gaps that, frankly, you can't teach. Yeah. Well, do you have a way of assessing curiosity? Yeah, you ask. And then you ask for proof points. Mm-hmm. So a lot, of, a lot of it is, would you consider yourself a curious person? And then walk me through something that you got really interested in and, and what you did about that. Mm-hmm. And let them take you on a story of wherever that curiosity led them right. um, as a demonstrated proof point in their world. right? Again, no yeah. right or wrong answer, just levels or degrees of <laughs> how what curiosity means to them. And that's usually right. a pretty good indicator of... Of that 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 particular skill that we're indexing on
1: right yeah cq yeah curiosity quotient not just i q and eq cq we,
0: um, we love that
1: yeah no, I would agree I mean I think that that's and assessing it I think is always sort of the challenge, but that's what I'd ask because I think that's for me that's what I would lead with right if I was saying look so I th- always sort of think of the, uh, you know, like the NFL draft. A lot of teams talk about, oh, we hire, we we draft the best available athlete, Yeah. right? Well, I think that's sort of what you're trying to do when you're hiring people in sales. Is and for me, what constitutes the best available athlete is really, just, yeah, people with sort of inherent curiosity. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think everybody has it. It's just are you
0: are you able to sort of let it loose? Just like in the NFL, not every, you know, best available athlete translates onto the field, you know, yeah, it, oh, absolutely. the hit, the hit rate is, uh, not exactly high depending on one, one's favorite team <laughs> and their GM. <laughs> when, well, it's about one of the examples I give about the difficulty of hiring is you look at the
1: millions of dollars spent on millions. scouting and, you know, Billions. the NFL combine and the testing they do and the, you know, uh, with that wonderlick test, which is, you know, an aptitude test, intelligence test, uh, physical tests, you know, they do background checks, blah, 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 blah. And right, the hit rate is still very low. You know, it's like the number of, I had this statistic, because I, I was writing about this a couple of years ago, was, and I forget what it is, but, the, you know, the number of, like, first-round draft choices that end up being all pros, very low. Yeah. Very low. And so, you I know, I think it's us, less
0: than 10%, if I'm not mistaken
1: yeah it's something like that, so for us in business, we're hiring salespeople um and we spend way less money in terms of evaluating and assessing the skills and the aptitudes and talents of people uh yeah it's it's hard to there's always gonna miss us uh yeah but it's not not a surprise that the hit rate tends to be relatively low
0: i I think that that's true the the one like little caveat that I might give between those two analogies is simply that the NFL is a highly desirable medium with, you know, inordinate ima- salary scales to match. And there's only what, like a few thousand NFL players in the world <laughs> today roaming around. Um, you know, the, the, the stakes for business or the, the bars to cross for success are I think much lower. That said, there still are a lot of misses, if you will. Um, in any endeavor along those lines. Hiring's hard. No, it's, yeah, very imprecise. And,
1: yeah, you know, now there are companies that are doing things like, uh, I was coming to, I had someone on the show last year where they're, you know, you can't ask people for their W-2s, for instance, right, in California now, but there's a company that, you know, you can volunteer, basically they're like search for me, basically voluntarily have to give it, right, <laughs> to be considered. And they go, you give permission to check, yeah, you know, your tax records, for instance, Um but I think even that I think is sort of a bogus, a bogus measure of of uh, or
0: bogus predictor, let's say, of success. On my college baseball team, we used to call those things mandatory optionals. That's right. <laughs> mandatory. That's exactly right. <laughs> so
1: all right. Well, Eric, thank you very much for joining me. It's been my pleasure. This was fun. Yeah. So if people want to find out more about science and connect with you, what's the best way to do that?
0: Sure. Um, Science.com. And again, that's science without the S. And uh, <clears throat> we are, you know, kind of open in here 247, 365 on our website. For me in particular, if you wanted to reach out on LinkedIn, there's luckily not too many Eric Quanstroms in the world. Are not. Um, <laughs> as, shockingly. You know, right. I'm, I'm not a Bill Johnson. In, in
1: <laughs> no. Or John Smith. Yes.
0: No. So. No John Smith here. So. Ultimately, finding me is super easy and connecting with me is uh, generally even easier still. Okay, cool. Well, Eric, a pleasure as always. Thanks, Andy.
1: Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest and friend, Eric Quanstrom, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review, let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.